We're finally doing it. We are. I love we're finally doing it line. Some people don't like it out there that call in and tell me I should try something else, but I actually like it. I like my program director's three claps. Isn't that, isn't there something like clap on, clap off? Yeah. Yeah, is that for like old people? All right, let me introduce my guest of the week. His name is uh, Cody McCoy. He's out of uh, Maryville, Tennessee, but you Southern people like to say Merville. I said it pretty good. You did. Uh, Cody has been a longtime client, longtime friend. How long have we known each other, Cody? It was my sophomore year when I started working out with you, so that would be 2006 or seven. so... Over 10 years now. Over 10 years. Hey, Cody, can you do me a favor and go closer, Mike, a little fist to the mouth? There you go. That, that's good. You there got, we go. There. Am I close enough? I think you are. Okay. All right. That's good. No, that's good. You don't, you don't have to go crazy, but like when Wang did it, he was like leaning back and it was weird. That was our first one. All right. So Cody's got a story. Cody's... Um, you really do have a good story, and this is what the podcast is all about. It's type A personalities, guys that drive, guys that get it done. Um, God, I'm just looking at all your tattoos on your arms. Dude, you really got some ink moving to Detroit. I do. All right, so let's go with, let's back it up. Let's bring it all the way back to Maryville High School when you came to see me. Um, Cody is... You know, this is something I like to brag on. He's probably, not probably, he's the fastest guy to come through the wood gym that I've ever timed in high school at a uh, 4.3740, correct? It was 4.38, and then the following week I ran a combine with lasers, and it was 4.39. So you went to a Nike camp and did that? That was a local combine with lasers, not the Nike camp. Right, but it was a yes. laser camp. Yeah, so that yes. was real. So what we timed. So Cody has like the world's fastest feet. And uh, he was fortunate enough to train with so many different people in here. But Jimmy Haslam, the guy that owns the Browns, that was on one of my podcasts. He was always talks about Cody with his fast feet, saying, man, he has fast feet. Fast feet I've ever seen. So kudos to you and your speed. I don't know where you got that from because your father has... Well, he has one leg, but he used to be fast back in the day. Right. So he was a fast athlete, but right now he has one leg. So he, he could... Probably do the pogo, the single leg bounds pretty quick. If I had to guess, I'd say he's probably about half speed right now. <laughs> he actually does have one leg. So that for our viewers and listeners out there, he actually does have one leg. All right. So you're in high school. You come to me, you know, uh, again, you came in the mornings. You're driven just like all the guys, all the great ones that go out and do something else and go on to college. You're one of those guys. Did you guys at Maryville High School, if people don't know that are listening outside of the Knoxville or Tennessee area, that it's it's a powerhouse school, right? Right. When I was at Maryville High School, my junior year, we rise to fifth in the nation for overall ranking. And then my senior year, we held the nation's longest active winning streak, coming to a close at 74 games total before losing the senior year state championship. And you went to the state? I did. All four years. Jeez. All four years. Only and, loss was the senior year state championship, the last game. And how was that championship game? Wasn't there something that went on because it was on national television? It was locally televised through the Tennessee networks. Um, our best offensive player got hurt. It was an entirely defensive struggle the entire game. 
And at the end of the game, since the nation's longest active winning streak came to a close, it was also the second longest active winning streak in the nation that came to a close on the same day. So they put it on SportsCenter Top 10, showing the two powerhouses coming to an end. Yeah, so that's, you know, I think I want to curve curve into talking about the Maryville football program and how successful it is. Again, I have questions on here. I do this all the time. I make questions, and then I'm like, aha, I think I want to move into this because this is really cool, is uh, if you guys aren't subscribed to YouTube yet to see my guest, Cody is a solid 5'7". Right now, he's a little bloated at like 204 because now he's in the workforce. So, you know, fast foods, White Castles, living up in Detroit right now, you know, got the best of him. But in his day, he was probably like 165 at high school playing, right? My senior year, I had gotten up to 175 at about 5% body fat. All right. So, so that he, was peak. he was a pretty good specimen. The point I want to get to with the Maryville football program is this cat across from me played uh, running back and linebacker at that size. And every time, I think I go to more high school games now than when Cody was actually playing. I think that's one of our big beefs we have when we have a couple at the house and we get in the, you never came to watch me play, is how does this powerhouse program with the size and the athletes they have, which are all good athletes, but how does it constantly produce at least 10 and 0 at least 10 games winning every year. How does this happen with you're looking at a linebacker that's not 62 210 6 feet 210 you're looking at your system and I've seen it year after year after year what makes that program so special So the answer I'll give is I'm not sure that it's the root of the success of Maryville because when I became a high school athlete the dynasty had already started. So for them to get to that point, I couldn't fairly answer what they did to get those players in position. So with me coming in as a freshman, you've already had a well-established team, a well-established program to where showing up for 5 a.m. workouts in the summer, running camps, everything was considered mandatory, even though it may have not been. So just that environment already being put in place gave you the motivation to make sure that you were doing everything you can to prepare for the following season. And our coaching staff was probably one of the best in the country. I would even argue that they were the best in the country for high school coaching staffs. And they really analyzed each player, what they could contribute. And even if they were much better suited for another position, they made sure to arrange the roster and depth chart to accommodate for the overall team picture to make sure that we would all play together and each spot was filled to take on whatever the opponent was. And and your coach was that Coach Quarles, correct? Coach Quarles, he's ranked top 10 all-time high school coaches. At a Maryville High School. At a Maryville High School. Right, so he left recently and another coach took over. He's, he's a young-looking dude. And does he bring in a different system or does he keep the same system that has kept you guys on top all these years? So the new head coach was actually a teammate of mine, Derek Hunt. Okay. He uh, took over for Quarles two years ago. This will be his third season. And he joined the staff about five years before Quarles left. And from there, he started to basically just follow Quarles around, work with him as a mentor, learn the ins and outs of 
what we weren't able to see that they did from a player's perspective. All right. So he already had the mindset of being similar to Quarles just because he's seen the success of him being a player through it. So once he adapted and learned from the coaching side, it was a smooth transition. He kept everything in place. Coaching staff all stayed, and the system didn't change. The only thing that may have changed would be the demeanor from the coach themselves, but both are very well respected. So it was a very, very smooth transition to the new coach. And you, um, did you just play football in high school? I ran track as well. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So you were a track football guy. And then you make your journey from Maryville High School. Did you get state championship rings? Did you, you said you went to the state four years. Did you win? I've got three state championship rings. Yes. Oh, my program director knows that. How yes. do you know that? Oh, well. well, indirectly, but yes. I was actually looking at my cups, and they're not on the set. So I was like, my cups aren't on the set. So maybe that's when I flaked out for a minute. <laughs> yeah, my cups are usually on the set. Instead, I have Planet H2O water that is so delicious. Acline water for the athlete. It's trinium-free, as Harrison Smith loves to read on the bottle. But they're going back and forth with the label. I'll have to show you that at some point, Cody. They... The old bottles and new bottles, they're still switching it around because this one says the product of Tennessee and um, Carrie. And I agree that I don't think it should say product of Tennessee because I think you're like, I think it should be more nationally known. The old label, when they started shipping me water, it didn't have that. And it looked, I thought it looked better. And it said trinium free on it. And <laughs> I thought that was kind of cool because that, that was Harrison's catch line. Harrison Smith, that's all he talks about now is trinium free. He didn't know anything about that. So I thought that like brought it in better. Sure. And from a branding standpoint, as a new company starting off, they want to appeal to the local market by putting Tennessee on it. So right. once they build that market, then they can look at rebranding options to go from a national level. Well, you just had your first couple of bottles last night at the house. What'd you think? I did. I actually uh I enjoyed it. It's good. It's isn't a good it? it's a good bottle of water. I mean, I know I'm like, you know, I don't know. I think I'm drinking more water, even though I have like a filtered thing over there on the on the side of the fridge in the gym. But I I like the water. No, it's great water. I found myself waking up twice in the middle of the night to use the restroom, so I drank quite a bit of it last night. I'm gonna have Carrie send me over. They're doing a um, an aluminum aluminum looking bottle for the water. It looks so kick ass, does it not? Mm-hmm. He showed us the picture. It looked really cool. Yeah, I'd like to see that. You, it looks like a swell bottle almost with the top. Out of aluminum. At aluminum, they're going to do cans also. And they're like, what do you think of that? You know, it's like, man, I thought, I, I think they're, I think they're on to something. They're in like Kroger's Publix, Pilot, uh, C stores, not in the travel stores yet, but they're, they're getting out there. You know, it's kind of cool. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. So you go from Maryville High School to college. Correct. And how did you pick the Citadel? My last two years in high school, I knew the direction I wanted to take with my life. I was fairly certain that I wouldn't be going pro. So at that point, I wanted to look at options for my future to where it would still accommodate for me to being able to play sports because Mm -hmm. I did enjoy it, but I knew it wasn't my future. So my decision was made off of what I wanted to do with my life post sports. So my junior and senior in high school, the only colleges I were interested in were military schools. So I applied to the senior military schools in addition to the academies. Is there any background from that? I mean, why why you were so interested in the military schools? There is a background. Did your father go to the Citadel? He did. He graduated in 1969, 
and he's actually the villain in a book written about the Citadel called Lords of Discipline. Very Great interesting movie. reading. And movie, movie as well. Yeah, yes. For those who are not literature acceptable, we do have a movie version. Right. Well, that's what I like because I was listening to Joe Rogan, my guy, on the podcast, and he did a skit on uh, people talking about reading the book over the movie. And it's like, oh, did you read the book? No, I saw the movie. Oh, you got to read the book. It's so much better than the movie. And he's like, listen, they're just trying to tell me how smart they are by reading the book. He goes... So in the Games of Thrones, can you really see the sex scene or you have to think about the sex scene? He goes, I'd rather see the sex scene. <laughs> so I thought that was really funny. I'm like, yeah, reading the book is like uh, The Godfather. I turned Harrison Smith onto that and he's reading it. And Josh Malone, the Cincinnati Bengals wide receiver, he was reading. He goes, the book is so much better. You know, I just started laughing. They're like, why are you laughing? I'm like, because everybody wants to one up you by go, na, 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 I'm smarter than you. I get to read a book. You know, so I watch movies when I, when I have time to watch, but I'm sure as hell not sit down reading any books anymore at 50. I've read enough books. Even at the beach, I'm not one of the guys that sit, sits there and reads books. Are you one of those guys that sits on the beach and reads books? I am, but the reason behind it is not because I think there's a preference as to whether the book is better than the movie or movie better than the book. I think it depends on the individual and how creatively you can paint the picture that the author is writing for you to read. So from that point, you're painting the story in your own head, creating your own image of what this looks like rather than having a director paint it for you. Now, for those that may lack a certain creative element when they read, movie may be better because the director can put it in an image that was better than they could think. Did you read the book and see the movie? I haven't read a book in five years. But did you read The Lords of Discipline? I did. I did. I read Lords of Discipline and I've seen the movie. I might I might have to read that to see if it's different. That movie was kick-ass. That was a the hell of a hard movie. Okay, so you take your talents to the Citadel. Correct. What was that like? It was the most fun that I would never want to have again in my life. It was an experience that... Then you ran track there. I did. I ran track, and I actually played football as well for the first year. Got it. Yes. Wow. And and then football didn't work out, and my first year on the track team, I had made all-conference, so I decided I'm going to focus on just one sport, pursue a military contract, and get good grades. And... The history of your father with the Citadel, he was, I always get this wrong because, you know, I know you guys pretty well. And the people out there that are listening and watching don't. He was a Blue Angel. Close. I always say Thunderbird. He was a Thunderbird. So he was a stunt pilot for the Air Force. Yeah. Correct. And, uh, you know, going over your house, he has some really cool stuff down in the basement. Yes, he, he graduated from the Citadel 69. He also ran track, but was also a member of the diving team. But that's when he had two legs. That's when he had two legs, and he was in peak performance. I so, didn't know he was a diver. I'm going to have to talk to him yeah, about that. Yeah, we, we didn't know that either until we were watching the Olympics eight years ago when Mother called him out for failing to share that information. <laughs> but, uh, but yes, after college, he actually went into Vietnam flying the F-4 Phantom. And upon his return from Vietnam is when he got involved in with the Thunderbirds. So how you fell into the military, did you, you know, it was just something that you had to do because your father did it or you did it because you wanted to do it? My father never even spoke to me about the Citadel or the military as far as what he experienced or what he would like to do for my future. But the moment I brought it up is the moment that he opened up. 
So once he saw that I had discovered the interest in the military schools on my own, that's when he began to assist me in helping make sure I'm making the right decision and helping guide my future because ultimately he didn't want to pick the future for me. He just wanted to be able to assist once the decision was made by myself. Did the um, did the Citadel come calling to you, or did you know you wanted to go there and reach out to some of the military schools? The Citadel I actually reached out to. I went to my junior year, an unofficial visit with my father, and that was the first time I had saw the campus, got to experience a game, going by the president's house for a tailgate luncheon. And from that moment, I knew that that was a school that I could see myself in, being happy and knowing that it's only going to propel me forward upon graduation. So at that moment, I reached out to the recruiting coach from my area. I sent him a highlight tape and said I would be interested. And from there, he said, absolutely no problem. We'll have you on the team. Just let us know when you report. So watching the Lords of Discipline, is that shit real? That really happened? Does that stuff really go on there? I didn't see it when I was in school. And that's the most I can give on that answer. <laughs> this guy. Hey, well, I mean, I'm going to have to read the book then. We got to get that book today. <laughs> we got some sound effects. Cody pulled up a nap with some sound effects that are pretty cool. We were working on it last night. All right, so the Citadel, you ran track. Uh, did you hold your own running? I mean, I know we got a picture of you on the wall. You know, it was hit or miss. Um, I struggled with hamstring injuries all the way through college. I probably pulled my hamstring nine, maybe ten times right. throughout my four-year career. So the majority of the races, we were, were a smaller school. Technically, we were 1AA, but in track and field, everyone's Division One. So when we ran meets with some of the smaller schools, such as the 1AA's, the Division Twos, or even just the own Southern Conference teams, I was able to hone my own. But when we would go to some of the bigger meets, such as a Nike Combine at the Florida Relays or the Penn Relays mm -hmm. at the end of the season, that's when all the high-performing teams would show up, and I was severely humbled. Well, I mean, one of your claim to fame, I don't know if it's on that wall. That's a relay picture, but it's a hell of a picture of you. You look jack, you look awesome. It's out there on the turf, program director. No, that picture on that bookshelf is not the guy that runs track. <laughs> but Stevie's doing a hell of a Russian split. <laughs> he, he looks phenomenal. <laughs> so when you, when you claim to fame, the guy from Florida... Yes, so it was my senior year. That you raced against. We were lining up to compete for the next race, and they were naming off all the teams for that heat. There was, there was a tremendous amount of teams. It was actually a seven- or six-day long track meet and 80,000 people in attendance in the stands. And they were calling off all the different teams for the first heat, and we were the third or fourth heat. So the first heat consisted of Tennessee, Florida, LSU, and the Netherlands. And then Clemson was the fifth team as well. Clemson, for some reason, was a no-show. And not sure why. Maybe they went by alphabetical order rather than the actual performance time because the Citadel was called next to jump in that heat. So I found myself lining up in my lane next to Jeffrey Demps on my left, who now runs professional track, 
was a running back for Florida, and to my right was a country, the Netherlands. So from that moment, Jeffrey looked at me, your traditional, you know, dab him up or give him a handshake, say good luck, wish you the best. I found myself laughing and looking at him saying, we'll see you at the end. (laughs) Did he win it? Did he win that heat? If I have to be completely honest, I'm not sure who won because by the time I received the baton for the third leg, all the other teams were already complete. <laughs> so, were you the fastest on that? For that particular year, I was not. No. I was probably the second or third fastest. The advantage I always had in track was I was born with a slight deformity. My left leg is actually a quarter inch shorter than my right leg. So with that being said, I had a natural lean and had a much faster 100-meter time on the curve than anyone else. That's interesting. Yes. <laughs> I don't know if that's true, but that's what I always go with. So, no, you don't think it's true? No. It was a combination of that plus being very detail-oriented in our preparation for the handoff portion. You know what? Since we're talking about handicaps, um, do you think you're faster Who's the guy that, like, crushes the speed and they said, like, he's not w- with those artificial deal limbs? You know, the guy that, um, oh, the one that uh, you know, killed his girlfriend, supposedly. Oh, yeah. Allegedly. South African. Yeah. What's his name? You know how, like, he sprints and they're saying, like, he was at an advantage, not a disadvantage? Yeah, that's a tough one to answer, too. You know what I'm talking about? <clears throat> Are you pulling that up, program director? I'm trying, but it's a little bit I mean, it can be argued both ways. I mean, the first one being he's not able to build strength because there's no muscles to build strength on. That's a good point. But the second one would be his legs don't fatigue. What you just put in your mouth? Oh, my God. Oh, damn, I don't have a zipper sound effect button. Oh, that would have been perfect. Yeah. Well... I usually start this question off at the beginning, but I thought I'd do it at the end with my man, Cody. We know you're fast, you're compact, muscular guy, when you're in shape. Right. I don't know what shape you are. Now you didn't feel bad when I gave you a hug last night. You felt pretty solid. Um, You know, you surprised me when you came in. I didn't know you were going to be that fast because every kid comes in and says this. I don't even think you even said how fast you were going to run or whatever. I think you were different then. Do you remember my first day here? I think I do. I had you walked, brought your grandfather. I walked in with my father. You immediately identified him as my grandfather. And then throughout the entire workout, I was constantly outside the garage door puking up blood. Yeah, you had something going on with your... I had a deviated septum and was post-surgery. Right. And you didn't know what to think about me. Yeah. Yeah, he did. That was funny. He walked in and I'm like, oh, you brought your grandfather today. And he was like, this is my father. And I was like, well, foot in mouth. Yeah. And then we did a time and I was like, wow, this kid's really, really fast. I mean, you know, I came up with a speed device to turn feet over faster with stride frequency. And that wasn't the case with you. So you were going to be an easy fix even to get you faster is just lengthen out your stride. Just make your stride a little bit longer because your feet were so fast. And that is hard to teach fast feet, but not opening up a stride length. So you were super fast. I'm going to ask the question I ask everybody that comes through here. When did you know that you were different? 
whether it was the speed or your focus. You know, we always talk about when did you know, and I don't want to answer it for you. I don't want to give you any more tips when you were different. April 30th, 2013 at 3.34 p.m. Now, there's some buildup to that story, and I'd be happy to share if you'd like me to go a little bit more in depth with that question. I think you have to. <laughs> Why not? So, so I would say at a very young age, even in elementary school, I was able to identify that there was something different about me in comparison to the other kids. So even if it was playing peewee sports or even tag at recess, I knew I had an advantage over the kids from pure speed. And from knowing that at such a young age, I became very analytical and wanting to understand why I was so much faster. So from that young age, I started to study and learn my body. What am I doing that makes me feel faster? What am I doing that is making me faster? So just having that understanding of how my body operates and how to get it to maximum speed or maximum performance. Anytime I worked with the trainer or started coming to you in the gym, from that point, I was able to take what you were saying and know how it incorporates into my body to make sure it's happening. So it was easier for me and more receptive to working with trainers, just knowing that you weren't the only one that understood my body, that I had an understanding to a certain extent as well. So at a young age, I knew I was faster, but throughout my entire career playing sports, humility has played a tremendous role in where I've become an understanding how I'm different. So I was 10 years old. I was faster than everyone, 30 pounds heavier, two inches taller. Fast forward four years, all the other kids hit puberty and catch up. So from that point, I realized I'm not necessarily the fastest, but I got a head start. So as long as I keep working harder, I can keep that foot ahead of them. So at a young age, I knew I had to outperform them. Going into college, I also got another wake-up call that I'm not racing against kids from Tennessee, that there's a lot greater potential outside of the state. So even in college, just competing in track and field, I understood that I'm going to have to continue to work even harder. So yes, I may have had more speed and I knew I did than most kids, but because of my height and having such an early start, I had to incorporate hard work on top of that just to be able to compete at a higher level. So when I answer the question, of when did I know I was different, and I gave you that date. That date actually fell exactly one week earlier when I realized my future was not sports. My last track meet in college was April 23rd. I had finished running track, and from there I found myself sitting on the field wondering, what does my future hold? What does it look like? What am I supposed to be doing? How do I make my impact in this world? And it was a week later we had a class project at the Citadel to where there was a big competition and my team had won. And at the end of the competition, we had a big fancy cigar on the parade deck celebrating with the professor who held the contest. And we took a photo on April 30th, 2013 at 3.34 p.m. with my group and the professor. And after we were done, I looked at my clock, which is why I knew the time, heading back to class to get ready for the afternoon sessions. And one of my classmates said, I'm glad you were in charge of this. You're the only one in this group I could actually see going on to be a CEO of a company. So from that moment, I would look back at my life, whether it was sports or anything I've done. It's not necessarily leadership. It's not athleticism. It's just the effect that I could have on the morale 
was more effective to the team than the actual speed or performance that I could provide. So that's when you wave goodbye to a natural talent of speed that you had growing up as a kid. I did. And all the way through college. I did. And it helped me understand that I was more than just speed, that coaches and players loved having me around just because of the morale I can bring, the good spirit, the positivity, which would help us drive harder and reach our goals. I love it. Boom. And you know what? I do too. It's good. I know program director's getting hungry again, so she wants to wrap it up. No, I'm just saying. I like that one. <laughs> and now, you know, I'm going to close this with one thing. First of all, yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, she doesn't get her Tito's. She's not happy. Um, <laughs> I love the sound effects. Now, Cody is one. He was the first guy person there's others out there that has a patron tattoo of his body and i came up with this years ago when people were like i'd like to come more but i just can't afford it i said well if you get a tattoo you could train for free this bastard went out and got a full emblem of the patron logo that's on the wood gym podcast and he also got a phrase on the other one of his arm. So on, on both of his biceps, one has the Patron logo and one has the one has the quote. And I thought, man, this guy's all in. Because at that point, he hustled me a little. I thought he was a poor little kid from Maryville that needed a tattoo to start working. And then after he got the tattoo, he invited me and my family out for a dinner. And I felt like I was going to never, never, never land at Michael Jackson's house. It was absolutely amazing. And this guy, I'm going to get long-winded here for a minute. This guy has a spread out there where you could do everything. You could shoot guns and ride four-wheelers and feed chickens and look at cows. And and his mother and father really opened up their house and, and, and the usage of all the land and the guns and property for so many years. And, you know, these podcasts are good. They're really good because I think we don't get time to sit and talk. You never do when everybody has, even when they come over, you work out. But I do want to say thank you for that because you really opened up your house. Um, again, with all the athletes that you let me have come over there and, and do all the fun stuff, I appreciate that. From the bottom of my heart, that means a lot to me. The loyalty that you have with with doing that on your, your body of the Patron thing. And uh, we've gotten in a couple fights before. I think every friend that comes through me from R. Kelly to Harrison, um, we get in fights and don't talk for a minute. And I think he called after we haven't talked in a while. And he goes, uh, we got to try to make up because I have a Patron tattoo on my arm of you. And it's not letting me get into other gyms. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I will say I'm glad we squashed that. And I will say going forward, I will not be asking your ex-wife out for drinks. So we can resolve that. <laughs> it was forward. awesome. That was amazing. Yeah, the code man's in full effect with that. Well, Cody, thank you so much for taking time to do a podcast with me. And I know you're in town for the weekend. You live in Detroit, Michigan. Shout out to Detroit. He's got some ink representing that. And he's killing it in the business world. And, and he's going to do really big things. And I'm a big supporter. And I'm, I can't wait to watch you grow. And that's why I do these things. I love to watch everybody go get theirs. Because once you're with people that got theirs, they really, truly want you to go get yours. And, and they're happy for you. So thank you.
this is the fastest person. Black, white, Chinese, Korean, sorry, Chewy, pound for pound that has come through this gym running a 43740 in my gym. Thanks, Cody. I appreciate it. Let's go with lunch. Thanks for having me, Charlie. Thank you.